2: Wikipedia cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy and my coworker at ESPN, Emily Kaplan. Emily, what's going on?
1: I love it. Hi, coworker. How's it going?
2: Oh, not, not much just uh 2 coworkers casually hanging out chatting about hockey um i'm a bit under the weather today hopefully my voice isn't too bad for all the listeners out there but we uh, we're gonna enlist the help of of all the listeners out there i i asked them for mailbag questions and they came through and we've got a bunch of stuff that we can kind of bounce around about and talk about and it's going to be a lot of stuff sort of what to look forward to in the final couple weeks some of the awards ballots and stuff like that and i'm really looking forward to it i'm glad to finally have you on the show i uh for a little behind the scenes, you and I and Greg Gwajinski were supposed to record your guys' podcast this weekend. Unfortunately, uh I was a game time decision and I couldn't make it because of this flu I'm dealing with, but uh at least you and I finally get to record eventually.
1: It's better than pulling like a Corey Crawford right and during the first two periods and then suddenly getting extra sick.
2: Yes, yeah, just just bailing and tossing Colin Colin Deely out here to get peppered with four goals against and almost blow it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just lodging the net and well, never mind. We won't go into that. It made for uh you know, trigger too many people.
2: The Blackhawks this year have made for uh I can't decide if they're like the best worst team or the worst best team, but <laughs> they whatever however you want to classify them, it feels like every one of their games this year has been like a six five total and they've made for great entertainment viewing. Although I imagine for uh for everyone that's coached them this year and their fans it's uh it's been a bit of a hair pulling uh session.
1: Yeah, you know, I live in Chicago, so I have seen them quite a bit. And I think what happened, honestly, is that all their superstars are one and two extreme. Their offensive superstars have showed up. Patrick Kane is playing probably the best hockey I've ever seen him play. Jonathan Tays is incredible. And then the defensive superstars like Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith to a lesser extent have just been pretty dreadful. So it's a tale of two teams in that sense, I think.
2: Yeah, no, it definitely has. They definitely have a uh, a bit of work to do in their own zone, I'd say, especially if uh, if that game against the Leafs was any indication. But uh, we'll get get into the Blackhawks and some of that other stuff later. But let's start with uh, we have a question from uh, one of our listeners, Aaron Feathers. His handle is Malkin Cookies seventy seventy one, which sounds delightful. <laughs> uh, he asks, uh, do you guys think any wild possibilities out there have a realistic chance against beating Tampa Bay in round one, or are they basically being served a free pass into the
1: second round here?
2: What do you what do you think, Emily?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. Um I would not personally pick any wild card picks against uh, Tampa Bay. I really wouldn't. Uh, you know, Currently, they're facing the Columbus Blue Jackets if the playoffs that have started today. and mm-hmm. you know, I just see that as a team that maybe has the offensive
0: firepower just hasn't been able to find it. Of course, goaltending is kind of a question with them because you got Sergey Bobrovsky and there's a little bit of a shoddy playoff record. So if that was the current series as is, I just don't know if I could, in good faith, pick against the Tampa Bay Lightning.
2: Yeah. So I guess right now it's the Eastern Conference in particular, although the West as well in the wildcard race, but it's so, uh, it's so murky right now. It feels like every day there's going to be a new variation or a new permutation of the matchups, but it feels like it's going to be one of Columbus, Montreal, or Carolina. I'd say one of those three, um, so washinsky and I actually earlier this week kind of did a little bit of a back and forth on ESPN.com and I recommend everyone go check it out. And we sort of tried to brainstorm some ideas for how a team could potentially upset the lightning. And obviously we, we, discarded the ideas of like some catastrophic injury to Kucherov <laughs> or Vasilevsky or, or or something like that and it was really tough it, it felt like we were kind of pulling at straws and it was a lot of like well hopefully your goalie just gets incredibly hot and you get a Yaroslav Halak type performance against the Capitals when they were the best team and, and you squeeze a series out that way but the thing I kept coming back to was and it reminds me a bit of uh, what we saw in the NBA the past couple of years where teams were trying to figure out how to play the Warriors and You know, whether they could gun with them and shoot as many threes as them and outscore them or whether they'd really slow it down and really kind of beat it, beat them up and ground, ground and pound them. And I think teams have to go to this opposite extreme where if you get into a back and forth shootout with the Tampa Bay Lightning, they have so much firepower that they're eventually going to find a way to outscore you. And it seems like you're playing a dangerous game if you choose to do that. So I feel like whatever team eventually gives them a scare or beats them at any point in this playoff, in this postseason, it's going to be like just sort of limiting the amount of events that are happening and really playing this ugly game and trying to squeeze out a one nothing or 2-1 win where you just leave the game wondering what the heck happened because you watched 60 minutes and nothing really occurred and I, I don't know I, I think Columbus is probably the team that's best suited to do that just in terms of Yeah, how,
1: I'd the
0: sports coach team for that
2: Yes, yes, I'd, I agree with that. And also just if you, if you look, I think they're like 26th in uh, in pace play this year. And a other teams in, in the conversation there, especially Carolina, like part of what makes them so fun is this sort of frantic helter-skelter, back and forth track field mm-hmm. place they like to play. And I think it's, remarkably entertaining and i wish more teams play that way and i love to watch them but unfortunately i think in a series against tampa bay if you play like that you're gonna leave yourself susceptible to you know all 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 a guy like nikita kucherov really needs is that one little opening for you to kind of let up and miss a blown assignment or something and all of a sudden the puck's in the back of your net and and that's a very slippery slope for you to play so i feel like columbus um checks the most boxes here for a team that could give them a scare in round one but i think they're as big of a sort of overwhelming uh, favorite as you're going to see in the NHL considering how uh, parity reigns supreme in this league. I hear
0: you. I'm with you.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, What about the Habs? I feel like uh, before we move off this question, I did want to, because, you know, we we sort of listed them slightly there, but we kind of skipped over them. Like, Carey Price has been playing a lot better lately. Um, They kind of... have this sort of personality this like frisky, annoying team with guys like Max Domi and Andrew Shaw, where it constantly seems like they're sort of, you know, drawing the attention of the other teams and, and always getting into these post whistle scrums. And I imagine in a seven game series, they'd be a pretty agitating team to play against, but I'm just not sure if they have enough firepower to keep up with what Tampa Bay can throw at them.
0: Yeah, their penalty kills. Okay. I think that would be one favorable matchup for them. Uh, I worry about their offensive potency though uh for lack of better words um uh, you know I, I believe it was yesterday they had only scored 11 goals over the last five games that includes an empty net goal uh their power play has been pretty dreadful lately and i just don't think they had the firepower to be in a shootout with a team like the lightning
2: yeah yeah i think it would their recipe would be a lot of like carrie price playing vintage Carey price and to his credit um You know, he's looked a lot better as this year has gone along. I believe he has like a 925 save percentage or something like that since December. So that's obviously a good sign for them considering the contract he has. But it would be a definite uphill battle for them. Um, Jordan Faulkner asks, uh, favorite to come out of the Metro side of the playoff bracket? And um, you and I partook in in a little bit of a roundtable at ESPN today. Um, Sort of, we were forced to pick uh, a team that, or a wildcard team that's going to upend a favorite and actually win in round one and i kind of had a difficult time trying to come up with one of those because it's it's you know it feels like the favorites are going to come out in in round one but it feels like the metro division is really wide open this year um what are you seeing there in terms of your sort of uh if you had to look into your crystal ball and trying to figure out what's going to happen in the playoffs
0: I'm really liking the way the capitals are trending. I feel like so much of this is who peaks at the right time. And when they came to Chicago, I think it was like January, February. um, That's when they were in their bit of a losing streak. And ever since then, since I've watched them, they've looked terrific. They've got Brett Connolly looking like he should be, you know, nominated for some heart trophies or something like that. So, uh, no, I, I really like the way the Capitals are playing. And I think Braden Holtby is also kind of having an underrated season, especially of late. So um, I think they've got a favorable stretch at the end of the regular season. Uh, you know, they do have to play the Lightning, I believe, three times, including twice in Tampa Bay, which is absolutely insane. But if they overcome all of those humps, uh, I feel like they're going to be really poised for a nice playoff run yet again.
2: I guess if you I guess you'd probably never want to play the Tampa Bay Lightning but if there is an ideal time to play them it would be at these final couple of weeks where I I imagine you know they don't really necessarily have that much to play for they've already cinched up pretty much you every, every single in first two. place thing. Yeah, exactly. So it feels like this is a good time for them to be playing them and you're right I think that Metro Division's going to come down to the very end and it's it's tough because pretty much none of those seeds so far are locked up so it's not like um you know, in in the Pacific Division, for example, where it's like, oh, okay, you want to finish in this particular spot to avoid the Vegas Golden Knights in round one, for example. In in the Metro, it seems like all the spots are open, are wide open right now, so it's not like you can pick a particular matchup or or try to pick a particular spot as the most favorable place to land in the regular season so it feels like it's a bit of a free-for-all but i'm with you i mean that capitals formula of brayden holby being like one of the best if not the best playoff goalies ever and the power play and alex ovechkin scoring all the goals and sort of them being able to go with backs from because nets off one two down the middle against every other team like it's sort of that similar recipe to what we saw last year and i don't know how i'm gonna prognosticate my playoff matchups because i'll fully admit the last year i picked the capitals to lose in every single series and they obviously proved me very wrong each time so um i'm not sure i'm not sure where i'm gonna go with it Did, did you go against the capitals as well
0: no, you know what? I think I went against them a couple of times, but my real big mistake was Vegas Golden Knights until finally in the finals. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. They proved me wrong every time. Mm. And here I am.
2: Yeah, you weren't the only one. Hockey expert. <laughs> I mean, I, I try to tell that to people all the time. Like, I, I don't know if you're like if you're if it's like this for you and your personal life but my friends always especially if i'm like go to a party or a dinner or something and people find out what i do for a living and they're like oh like what's gonna happen who's gonna win the stanley cup this year and i'm like i don't know just put a bunch of names into a hat and pick one of them i mean your guess is as good as mine it's not like us covering this league for for uh every single day and for a living necessarily gives us a huge revelation of what's gonna happen in the postseason because it is such a random free-for-all it seems like
0: yeah no i live off of my first year covering football apparently i predict all the division winners right and there is a reddit post i think it's called emily cathlett is a goddess on rnfl and uh, i just point to that as my crowning achievement in life
2: how is that not your pinned post on on twitter it seems like that's um, something you should be uh you should be like retweeting every couple weeks
0: yeah yeah huge flex by me uh, to bring it up now <laughs> and to bring it up every week from now um suggestion
2: so yeah i guess i guess we answered jordan's question i mean I'm at the point with the Capitals and the Penguins where even if they're struggling and at certain points of the year, you could point to both teams and go like, oh, there's some serious flaws with both of them. Like the star power and and what they've done in the past makes me always so reticent of picking against them. And I'd always feel uncomfortable picking a team that I haven't seen do it before to beat. A team that has Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin on it for example I don't know if, if it's like that with you as well but regardless of any flaws they might have the goaltendings in trouble or regardless of who's on their blue line I keep coming back to those two guys and being like uh, I still like the Penguins chances in a series where they might have the two very best players
0: Yeah, no, two points on the Penguins, too. One, whatever they've done, they've been doing it without Phil Kessel being at 100%. And I think if he turns it up, that's a huge weapon they get. Plus, they'll probably get Chris Letang back. And I know he's had an up-and-down season, but he's definitely an asset in the playoffs. And two, Matt Murray is just a huge wild card for me, just in his entire career. Um, I believe in him. If we want to call out old takes exposed, he was actually my Vesna winner uh, when we did preseason picks, LOL at that. But (laughs) over the last two weeks, he has looked much better, and I wonder if he can get locked in into that playoff mode, uh, if he can be an X factor for them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the good thing, and we're seeing this with most teams I feel like around the league and it's been a trend over the past few years, but I think going in their favor is the fact that they weren't having, because of injuries and because of other stuff and because of his play, you know, they were splitting a lot of the starts throughout the start of the year between himself and Casey to Smith. And so it feels like coming into the playoffs, they're going to have a pretty fresh version of Matt Murray, where he's going to have played 40, 45, 50 games or whatever. And, that's a huge departure from what we've seen in the past where sometimes teams have relied on their goalies to play 60, 65, 70 games, and they come into the postseason and they're not at 100%. So I feel like, you know, whatever the best version of Matt Murray is, I feel like we're going to see it this postseason. That's obviously a great sign for a Penguins team that because of their blue line is going to need to rely on him more than they might have in the years past. For sure. Um, John Murray asks, what happened to the Devils this year?
0: Hmm. I've got two answers. Yeah, go for it. I think what willed them into the playoffs last year was two things. One, Taylor Hall Mm -hmm. and two sports of good goaltending. Right. And they had neither this year. Taylor Hall has been out since right before Christmas. And that's a huge loss. And goaltending really took a step back. I mean, Keith Kincaid fell back to earth, Corey Schneider. We don't have to rehash, you know, the saga of Corey Schneider. And, you know, really the only thing they've got going for them right now is the hope of Mackenzie Blackwood. So, um, when I look at the Devils, I look at Ray Shiro knowing this was going to happen. Um, you know, we looked at all of their needs in free agency, and they're like, just help the blue line out, just do something, sign anyone. And he purposely did not sign any notable free agents. And, you know, I think he knew the team was going to regress. You saw them give John Hines a contract extension anyway. I think they're just gearing up to reload next summer when they've got a ton of cap space. So uh, I think young players have looked good. Honestly, the, you know, Binghamton team beat the Oilers last night on the road, and <laughs> an Oilers team that should have been, a uh, Competitive, so uh, I, that's kind of my explanation of what happened to the Devils. I mean, I'm curious what you think.
2: Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, obviously, um, you know the year Taylor Hall had last year, where he was named the league's MVP and deservedly so, and and the fact that he's been out since I, I believe like sometime in December um, goes a long way to explaining a lot of their offensive woes. And then defensively, the goaltending is a big issue. I will say, I, I do feel good for Corey Schneider that he has looked. Uh, Not necessarily back to his peak form, since he's come back from his most recent injury, but he's looked back to at least being an NHL goalie, which is... um You know, great, great to see for him and both the Devils because it looked like his NHL career was teetering on the edge there for a while and he went like a calendar year without a single NHL victory. So the fact that at least he's stringing together some competent performances this year is huge and provincially provides a bit of hope that maybe next year with him and Mackenzie Blackwood, they can split that 50 50 or maybe 60 40 in terms of Blackwood's favor and actually get at least league average goaltending. So that's huge. I'm kind of curious for your take on because as you alluded to, we saw Ray Shiro and I think astutely. Not get not get carried away by the uh, Cinderella year they had last year, and then kind of double down on it and spend bad money in free agency this year just to kind of try to ride that high and continue that wave. And he sort of acknowledged that maybe they were a bit lucky to be where they were, and that they were going to take a step back. And so he viewed this as a bit of a transition year. Um, Obviously, with Taylor Hall's impending free agency next year, I imagine they're going to have to do at least something this summer to give him a reason or convince him as to why he should want to be a New Jersey Devil for basically the rest of his prime with the next contract he signs. And I'll be very fascinated to see what those moves are, whether they actually do make a big splash UFA signing or whether they use some of that cap space that you mentioned to potentially take on someone else's contract or get creative via trade. I'm, I'm not sure what that avenue is for improving their team, but we've seen Ray Sherrill be willing to you know get frisky and mix it up via trade and via signings in the past. And I imagine they're going to have to do something here because this doesn't strike me as a type of roster where it's like you know, we're going to get Taylor Hall healthy next year and maybe we're going to get some better goaltending and we're going to get back to the postseason because it seems like the gap between where they are now and where they need to be to get back to the postseason is pretty, pretty massive.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And look, I think there's probably only a few GMs in the league based off of their status previously as a winner and their ownership situation that can essentially wave a white flag and say, like, we're taking the season off. And I think Ray Shearer is one of the very exclusive guys in that club. Mm-hmm. But you can't do it two years in a row. And I think the Devils need to put all of their efforts every ounce of energy in their body into re-signing Taylor Hall and doing everything to make him happy because let's face it he's probably the next guy that's at risk of being the next John Tavares and spurring it a, you know spurning a fan base and I know he's only been there for a couple seasons he wasn't drafted there but really you know they need him as part of their future and if, if he doesn't re-sign there they're kind of screwed
2: yeah they are they are I do like some of the pieces they have obviously like Nico Hischer is a great young player and some of their defensemen but Taylor Taylor Hall is in a kind of caliber and a league of his own and, and they don't those types of guys don't don't come into your organization very frequently so the fact that they got one uh via the trade that they did they need to uh, make sure they keep him and keep him satisfied and, and keep uh keep things moving forward um emily let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and then we are going to keep answering some listener questions on the other end of things let's chat about SeatGeek, who's sponsoring today's episode of the hockey pdl cast sea knows that getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability It's hard to know who to trust out there. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go because SeatGeek does all the work for you by pulling millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever before. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence, knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. All of that is why you need to make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source from everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and as I've talked about many times on this podcast before, uh, it's my go-to because I know that regardless of the event I'm looking to go looking to go to in just a couple clicks uh, in a couple minutes i will be good to go and it's as hassle-free as possible and it's going to save me time effort and money um this is obviously i think one of the best times in the in the calendar year to be a sports fan and get out to as many events as possible with uh, the baseball season starting with nhl and nba playoffs just around the corner um uh, you know, with college basketball season and March Madness coming up, uh, depending on your region and where you live and what's accessible to you, there's so much good sports action to check out. And if you've been reluctant to check out SeatGeek for whatever reason, I highly recommend that you go do so now. And to help incentivize you give you that one final nudge to finally jump into the deep end and really use SeatGeek and let it change your life, uh, we're gonna give, SeatGeek's going to give you, as my listener, $10 off your first purchase with them. To claim that all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today That's promo code PDO for ten dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase And when you use it and when you go to one of these events and you have a blast uh, Please feel free to take a picture and send it to me. I love seeing uh, my listeners out there enjoying the games and Me doing everything I can to help facilitate that so um, Definitely take advantage of that offer and go out there and have some fun And with that said, we're gonna get back to emily Kaplan and the hockey pdo cast okay so i know you wrote about uh you wrote about the arizona coyotes at depth recently and i really enjoyed that piece and they are one of if not the best uh stories in the league this season just based on the wacky sort of unpredictable up and down season they've had and currently sitting in a playoff spot now um let's get into that a little bit i I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about that and then we're going to discuss them and sort of the future outlook of that uh western conference wildcard race
0: yeah, I was lucky they came into Chicago right when they were on this massive roll. Of course, they get shellacked by Chicago, but look like they're on pace again. But it's kind of incredible. It's, you know, I think if not for Barry Trots and what he's done in Long Island um, or for John Cooper and really running a juggernaut that is Tampa Bay, like we would be talking about Tockett as the coach of the year. Uh, the man games they've had loss is it's just insane um you know i, I lead the story with a bunch of quotes from guys being like this is the crazy it's insane i've never seen anything like it John check like, uh, got a little dramatic said he's never seen anything in life hockey or sport or i don't know something that's a uh, pretty, yeah a little extreme <laughs> uh that said it is pretty wild um what they've had to go through and uh, i actually asked i think it was vinnie hinstros i was like do you guys kind of remind me of last year's golden knights where you're kind of golden misfits and no one's believing in you he's like well let's not get carried away But it is ridiculous what we're doing. And I think so much of it is goaltending that they've gotten. You know, they didn't have Auntie Ranta and Darcy Kemper really, over the last month or so, has been outstanding. Um, and then another crazy fact about them is that I believe this is the first time we could ever have a playoff team that doesn't have a 20-goal scorer. Um, you know, as I wrote that piece, Brad Richardson, career fourth-liner, was leading the team with uh, 16 goals. It helped that he had one four-goal night. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I think it was Henestros, again, who's like, we know that we don't have any superstars on this team, and if we're ever going to win games, it's not outscoring them, it's outworking them. And, and that's why I think they've been able to have the success.
2: Yeah, it's been a, it's been quite a team effort. I, I didn't even realize that, um, until I read your piece that, that Brad Richardson was leading the team with 16 goals and Clayton Keller was leading the team with 44 points and the next couple guys are, our defensemen. And I mean, Darcy Kemper, um, you know, his career starts, before this were 25 28 16 17 and 25 and now he's starting his 45th game i believe tonight and he's had a nine twenty save percentage in those and he's looked remarkably well remarkably um excellent as a puck stopper the past however many weeks um and he's sort of having the type of season that i think people were hoping anti Ranta would finally have this year so it has been that team effort and rick talk has done an excellent job of pulling the strings and i guess I don't know, do you think they are going to actually seal the deal here and finish this off by potentially making the playoffs? Or how do you see that um, that Western Conference wild card chase shaking out? Because it looks like one of those teams, whether it's them or the Stars or the Wild or the Avs, um, I guess two of those teams are going to wind up missing out in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. Um, I've not been crazy about the Wild lately. I, I just don't really love the way they're playing. The Stars, I, and as we were recording this, I believe Ben Bishop has just left with an injury, so mm. I want to be careful there, but their goaltending has been absolutely spectacular this year. I think that's really buoyed them into the spot that they're in, so I, I think that's good enough to carry them in. Uh, I like the Coyotes in making it. I really do. I think, um, you know, they've got six home, six away left. Um, they're against eight quality teams, so that's a bit tough, but If they can keep up with what they've done the last month or so, uh, there's no reason to count against them at this point.
2: Yeah, no, they're a remarkable story. I am with you on the wild. Like Devin Dubnik has been, I think um, like the most negatively impactful goalie this year in terms of his (laughs) workload and sort of how he's performed relative to what we'd expect from a, a league average goalie. And, They're good defensively. We expect Bruce Boudreaux teams are always going to be in it and always going to be feisty. And I I believe he's made the playoffs in every year that he's uh, completed with with an NHL team. So... It seems like it will be a good bet to bet on them to make it. But I agree, after the after the deadline moves they made, I don't think they have the firepower to keep up. And Colorado is the team that I keep coming back to because I know it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle with Gabriel Aniskog out of the lineup. But now that their goaltenders are at least kind of rounding back into form and just how good Nathan McKinnon and Miko Randon have been as a pair it feels like and that kind of home ice advantage they have and i think they do have a pretty favorable schedule coming up as well where they sort of control their own destiny against some of these other teams um colorado's the team that i view here with like the highest upside in terms of if they can get it together they might actually be able to get into the postseason and, and give one of these um central division teams that are above them an actual test in round one as opposed to just kind of making it in and being a feel-good story and then eventually getting eliminated in five or six games
1: yeah i hear you i wonder too with the wild what happens to them this off season. Um, we see, I, I think Bruce Boudreau might be on his way out. I, I like to think that Paul Fenton wants to hire his own guy uh, behind the bench. And I wonder what other seismic shakeups they can have because, you know, Paul Fenton finally did some stuff with the trade deadline, but I do think there needs to be more done to this core to make them a more sustainable team in the playoffs.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I disagree, obviously, the you don't need trade um, at time look bad and, and in hindsight looks like a disaster, but the other <laughs> moves I kind of, you know, I understand the perspective of like, We've sort of seen what the ceiling for this current roster is, and we're going to try to um, change that up or, or mix things up by potentially getting a bit younger and a bit faster, and maybe taking a bit of a step back here in the present, but having a brighter future um, in the years to come because of it. But I don't know. I, I'm very, very of pinning it. Like I'm, I know. I've seen this story before where Bruce Boudreaux will eventually um, be blamed for this and will be let like, go oh, and, mm-hmm. and Paul is going to bring in his own guy. But history has shown us that like Bruce Boudreaux is going to get scooped up pretty quickly, I imagine, and whichever team he takes over will suddenly get dramatically better. And so, win
1: 100 points and get the playoffs.
2: Exactly. And and you, know, you can say what you want about how his postseason track record has worked out, but there's a lot of teams around the league that would love that type of a regular season. And I imagine it'll be fascinating to see sort of what teams that aren't having the year they were hoping they would have this year and are potentially eyeing a coaching change of their own, whether that realization that Brujo might be out the door all of a sudden that might sort of make you like circle back to that and be a bit more patient with your own situation and waiting to see what happens. And if Brujo is let go, I imagine there's going to be at least five or six teams that are going to immediately be circling him and trying to bring him in to, to fix their own roster. So I think that's definitely a situation to watch. Alrighty, that um, sounds good to me. So, so Emily, do you have um, you have a you have a ballot this year, right? I do. Do you want to get into some of the uh, some of the awards and sort of where you're leaning right now, or are you allowed to uh, to talk about that at this point?
1: I'm allowed to talk about it. I'll just give you the disclaimer that awards voting is like the bane of my existence, and I hate it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty rough. I, I I'm with you, especially um, now that they're. I mean, it's good that they're making them them public, but uh, it is. Uh, you obviously, unless you pick the favorite player of a given fan base, there's going to be 29 other 30 others that are going to be wondering why you hate their team and why you hate their favorite player. But uh, I'm kind of curious. I, w- I want to bounce around through some of these main ones with you and sort of see where you're leaning, where your head's at, um, acknowledging that there still are a couple of weeks and obviously a strong finish by a certain player uh, could go a long way towards vaulting them at- atop of uh, the award. Where are you at with the uh, with the heart Trophy right now? Is Kucherov, does he have it on lock just based on the ridiculous point season he's having?
1: He does, and I'm not a subscriber to the fact that, okay, he's got all the help in the world, That if you took him off the team, the Lightning would still probably be a juggernaut because they wouldn't. His point total is absolutely insane. Uh, we have to be able to reward that, and uh, he's just been dynamite from the beginning of the season, so I'd have a hard time not putting him as number one right now. That said, I think Sidney Crosby has worked himself in the situation. Uh, in the conversation, uh, I really do. And I think if if the Blackhawks somehow miraculously get into the playoffs, uh, Patrick Kane would have a very, very good case. Kind of a la Nathan McKinnon willing in the um, Colorado Avalanche last year or Taylor Hall obviously doing the same with the Devils.
2: Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. We'll talk more about Crosby in a second when we come up to uh, one of these other awards, but obviously <laughs> the the year he's had, especially of late, where he's kind of single-handedly carrying this Penguins team up the charts, Like it felt like a couple weeks ago people were like, oh my God, could the Penguins miss out in the playoffs entirely? And now they're at least have a puncher's chance for winning the metro division and it's basically been him carrying whoever he's been playing with whether it's been dominic Simone or now jared mccann most recently or, or or um ryan russ there for a while like pretty much anyone you put on his line is going to be money so that's all crosby there i'm with you on kucherov it seems like i mean let's let's keep it real for a second the guy's gonna have possibly 130 points this season which hasn't he's been on bad.
1: pace right now as we record this
2: Yeah, and that hasn't been done since I believe like the early '90s when Yager and and Lemieux were doing it together as a one-two punch on the Penguins, obviously in a completely different NHL. And I think we can sometimes kind of get carried away with this idea. It's like, yeah, this Lightning team is obviously great, and I imagine they would still be pretty good if you took Kucherov off their team. But like, it kind of it doesn't do him justice in terms of what how integral a part he plays in making all those better around him, especially on that power play and sort of what he's done to get Brain Point, I imagine, handsomely paid this summer and revitalizing Steven Stamkos as a top flight goal scorer and sort of all the space he creates for all those guys with his passing. So I don't know, I think there's obviously teams that uh, are in more dire straits and maybe have some individual players doing more heavy lifting, but I think it is a bit unfair to penalize a guy like that just because he happens to play with other great players because he himself has been responsible for such a large majority of that. So I, uh, I'm i right there with you. I think this is the year that he should take that home. Um, the Norris, who do you, who you have yes. in your ballot?
0: So I feel, and the reason this is the bait of my existence, honestly, is that I feel like the criteria for all of these awards just so vague and with the Norris trophy it always seems to be the guy with the most offensive points uh gets you know kind of carried to the top and Brent Burns right now is on pace for 86 points which is pretty ridiculous it's actually the most points of a defenseman since I believe Brian Leach Hmm. uh just consider that and that was Um, a long
2: time ago because Brian Leach has not played in that NHL in quite a while
0: yeah no (laughs) yeah he's been gone for a bit so um I think that that's a guy that's going to be in my top three just because that's the way things tend to go. And he has been defensively responsible, but I also really like Mark Giordano and I think some of his possession stats can stand up. He also has the offensive production. Um, and, you know, he's just kind of, he passes the eye test of like, here's a guy that's kind of a shutdown guy for his team, but he doesn't have as much help and uh, is one of the best defensemen I've seen this year.
2: And he also fits the, um, The sort of storytelling or the narrative uh, angle of this as well, right? Where it's like he's been close in the past and it feels like this is finally the year where he has put it all together, this Flames team has put it all together, and... Uh, people want to reward him for sort of the career he's had and i think it's completely justified in the season he's had i know sometimes we can quibble with that kind of career achievement angle but he has definitely earned it this season with his individual play and what he's meant to that team and the numbers he's putting up especially at the age he's at is remarkable and uh, i'm right there with you i think he is he's the number one on my list as well i also have guys like uh you know, like Morgan Riley and John Carlson up there, and I would have had Eric Carlson as well if he had played more than 52 games. But yeah, I think, uh, I think Giordano's a good pick. Um, in the Calder Trophy, I know our, our, our coworker, Greg Ruschinski, has been really pushing this, uh, Jordan Binnington agenda of his. I don't know if he's been quietly hired as his agent or not, but, um, do you think he's done enough at this point to potentially, uh, steal enough votes from the early lead, Elias Pedersen had built up, or do you think Pedersen still has this?
1: Yeah, don't let Octagon know. They've been fired. It's always <laughs> uh No, I, my thing with him was always games played, and he's just not going to play enough. And the body of work that Elias Petterson has done, uh, Elias Pedersen, I learned how to properly pronounce it yes. like a month ago, yep. um, I, I think is just pretty incredible. He's having well, one of the best rookie seasons we've seen in the last 20 years, really since Sid and, um, Sid and Obi's debut, and mm-hmm. uh, you know just being able to – almost changed the complexion of that franchise he willed them into almost being a playoff spot until about two weeks ago which is something of a miracle considering their depth concerns on that team plus the injuries that they've had so uh petterson for me is the pick uh, i i'd have a very hard time picking someone else i think bennington had a strong case he's dropped off a little bit in the last uh week or so and that probably is going to drop his numbers and, and be able to justify it for everybody else who might be enamored by like a 25 game sample
2: yeah no he definitely had a had some buzz going there and, and, and it was a little bit of a snowball effect but he has come back, back down to earth a little bit and i think there was also, also an element of especially when they changed their coach and they brought in craig Brube to take over for mike hill um they definitely short things up a bit defensively it made life easier for him as yeah. opposed to what jake allen was facing in front of him at the start of the year and so I, that goes a bit uh of a way as well obviously not to take anything away from the job Bennington did but I think what Patterson has meant to both the league and the, the Canucks in terms of just excitement and sort of how he's coming into the league and been this generational talent, seemingly immediately, um, is warranting of this award. And I always view these awards as kind of uh, a bit of a time capsule where we look back at them 10, 15, 20 years down the road and try and look at the individual awards to sort of remember what that year was all about. And it seems like this year will be remembered as the year that Elias Pedersen came into the league finally, as opposed to the year Jordan Bennington got hot for 25 games.
1: <laughs> well said.
2: Um, the Jack Adams. So you mentioned uh, a couple names there with Rick Tockett and uh, and Barry Trotz and, and and John Cooper. It's a really tough one because, similar to that conversation we just had with Kucherov, it's like how much do you want to how much of the success of the lightning do you want to give to an individual like john cooper and then how much do you want to reward a guy like barry shots for the fact that you know his goalt- goaltenders have been remarkably good pretty much all year and kind of buoy buoyed that team like where do you stand with this and how do you factor in also some guys like Talkett and and Moore that have coached these upstart young teams that have kind of come out of nowhere and exceeded expectations
1: yeah, so this is the one that writers don't vote for, which I actually think is unfortunate because I feel like this is the one where I'd have some kind of expertise or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my feeling is that I want to reward John Cooper just the way I want to reward uh, reward Dikita Kucherov. Mm-hmm. That said, the transformation, the expectations to what this team became – of the New York Islanders is simply remarkable. And I know the goaltending has been great, and we can call it the bench corn effect, but so is the defensive structure. They really brought back all the same defensemen as last year, uh, and it was a very porous defensive group, and literally went from a Cinderella, like it's a Cinderella story, really. Um, So with all that said, and managing the expectations, managing, um, you know, all the hype and hoopla, and even just that game, and if you want to talk about capsule of time, we can use that, John Tavares return to the Long Island night as the night that Barry Trotz proved that he can, you know, corral his team into uh, willing themselves into an incredible performance, uh, he would be my pick.
2: Yeah, he and it helps for his case that we can actually specifically look at what this Islanders team looked like last year and what they look like this year, and the fact that the personnel hasn't really changed much except for the fact that they lost a superstar and they got dramatically better defensively. And it's not just the goaltending numbers, but it's all the high danger chances they're giving up all the shots in general on the penalty kill. Like everything Mm -hmm. has supported the fact that a goal, that a coach actually does matter. And the system they implement does matter beyond just the talent itself. So I'm with you. I know sometimes we can ridicule this word for just being the PDO award and sort of the coach <laughs> that got the best luck from their, from their goalies and their shooting percentage gets it. But in this case, it seems like just the job trots has done and sort of the fact that we can identify specifically the difference he did make himself uh, goes a long way towards this. Um, we got the Vesna and the Selke left.
1: So my Vesna vote has changed in the last like five days. Okay. I was thinking it would be an Andre Vasilevsky jam, but mm-hmm. man. Ben Bishop has been absolutely ridiculous. Uh, This is a bit of recency bias because right before recording this, he had just recorded, I believe, the franchise record for um, shutout streak, but he now leads the league in save percentage. Um, He has six shutouts. He's been absolutely terrific for the Dallas Stars. And I know Anton Godobin has been very good as well. And it's almost the same issue that we have with the New York Islanders, right? Where it's like, how much of it is just system when both of the goaltenders are doing really well and one just plays slightly more than the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he, to me, is the definition of what a veteran goaltender has been. So I'm voting for him.
2: Yeah, I knew that he was having a good year. I didn't realize that he had a 9.32 save percentage heading into today. Yeah. And uh, obviously, having three-plus straight shutouts will go a long way towards doing that. But yeah, it, it is it is tough because, uh, as you mentioned, Hudobin has a 9.24 save percentage, I believe, and slightly fewer starts than him. And it's just like Rice and Leonard, where both guys have been so good that I wish you could just kind of package them together and go like, okay, we're going to give this goalie tandem the award. Um, I I'm would have. with you. I would. My award has changed quite a bit. I mean, it hasn't changed, but it... it my perspective on it has a little bit, just because I, I would have thought there would be a strong case for Freddie Anderson, but he got shelled so badly the past couple of times out that his numbers have taken a bit of a dip. But if you look at sort of, I know it's a bit of an unconventional pick just because that uh, Leaf's team has so much offensive firepower and they score so many goals in front of him. But defensively, they've been such a mess all year and he's really kind of made them hold up and allow that offensive talent in front of him to flourish. And I feel like he doesn't get enough love for how responsible he's been for that team's success. So it seems like we list Martner, Matthews, Tavares, Riley, so on and so forth for everything they've done. But it seems like. You know Anderson has done most of the heavy lifting this year for them, and, and I wanted to give him a bit of love there. So I'd have Anderson, Vasilevsky, and Bishop in some order, and I'm willing to see the final couple of weeks before I determine who uh, out of those three deserves the most.
1: Except if Freddie Anderson gets pulled for his like eighth consecutive game a week from now,
2: yeah, then we'll uh, we'll have to revisit this um, and the Selkie. Sucky, this Selkie. one's interesting. Yeah, this one this one is one of those obviously, as you alluded to, the kind of nebulous ones where it's like, what are we really awarding here and how do you even capture best defensive forward? And it's he was like you have to have a certain baseline level of offensive production to even be considered for this. But uh I don't know, where are you at with this and, and what names are kind of bouncing around on your ballot?
1: have become obsessed with your thing about this being a capsule in time. And if you really want to have a capsule in time of the 2018-19 season, shouldn't it be Mark Stone because this is the year that we all discovered and became obsessed with him? Um, and it could be the first year that a winger has won in, like, forever. But um, I digress. Uh, I, I think that the name that really is sticking out to me is Sidney Crosby. And I think part of this might just be rewarding him for some of the offensive success he has if he doesn't get the MVP. But he's been so defensively responsible and is so important to that Penguins team that He'd probably be my pick if I was voting today.
2: Yeah, I have, uh, I have Crosby, Stone, and, o- and Ryan O'Reilly as my three guys. Ryan
1: O'Reilly's the other one I hate. Did not mean to overlook him, but go yes. on.
2: Well, I-, I think Stone is... Obviously, I'd love a winger to win this just so that we can get... You know, we can open the door for future wingers to win this award, and so we can stop uh, citing the fact that it's only been centers winning it as the reason why a winger can't possibly win it. It's like it's like we've always done it a certain way. Why do we change it now? And so, hopefully, uh, Stone could kind of break down a, a bit of that barrier and potentially open the door for some other wingers to win it in the years to come. But I th- I'm with you. I think Crosby. I would love it from a storyline perspective of he's obviously won the Art Ross, the Heart, the Ted Lindsay, the Rocket, the Conn Smythe, pretty much every single award uh, that a forward could possibly win. And it seems weird to say that he's been the best defensive forward just because we think of him as, you know, he's, I think, fourth in the league in scoring or whatever. And we sort of tend to think of him from that perspective. But if you just look at the on ice versus off ice numbers this year and what he's been to that Penguins team and who he's played with, and the fact that I believe, um, you know, in a thousand minutes that he's played so far this year, they're plus 40 at 5 on 5 in terms of goal differential and they're minus 23 or they're minus 13 in the minutes he's not playing. Like just the fact that an individual player can swing the pendulum that much for that team and then when you look at who he's playing with and he's played like 300 of those thousand minutes with jack johnson and he's played with like all these guys that you wouldn't necessarily think of as being players that would be um you know driving the bus or or, or being net positive players at five on five but just because they get to play with Sidney crosby he makes them look so much better so i am perfectly okay with giving him that award this year and potentially even using that defensive case to justify him winning the heart as we talked about earlier against Kucherov.
1: All right. I'm perfectly okay with agreeing with you
2: then. I like it. Um, let's take one more quick break here and then we're going to answer a few more questions and then we're going to get out of here. Also sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey Cast is Harry's Razors. Anyone that's had to shave before, and I imagine that is most of us out there, uh, know that shaving can be a pain in the ass. Um... You know, you can get these blades and pay exorbitant prices for them. And after a couple times using them, they burn out and wind up cutting you out and giving you all these nasty nicks and bruises that wind up covering your face. Um, you know, it could be a messy ordeal. It could be expensive. It could be time consuming. And that's why I love Harry's Razors, because they have really eliminated all that for you and made it stripped down to the bare bones and really focused on improving the quality for you while also maintaining um, the cost efficiency and also making sure you're going to keep coming back to them Uh, harry's razor harry's razors founders knew that people were tired of paying up for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned they knew that a great shave doesn't necessarily come from gimmicks like vibrating heads flex balls or handles that look like spaceships these are all tactics that the leading brand out there has used to raise prices for decades and take advantage of you as a consumer and that's why harry's has gone out and fixed that by combining a simple clean design with quality durable blades at a fair price Harry's replacement cartridges are just 2 bucks each, which is roughly half the price of some of the leading brands out there. And all of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. And that's if you don't love your shave with them, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. And to sweeten the pot and help you join the 10 million people out there who have themselves gone out and tried Harry's razors and stuck with them, um, they're going to sweeten the pot a little bit for you by giving you a trial offer that you can claim by going to harrys.com PDO. So to get this $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, which includes a weighted ergonomic handle, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover, just go to harrys.com PDO. And as my listener, you can redeem that trial set. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash PDO to redeem your offer and let them know that we send you to help support the show. Now let's get back to the PDO cast. Um, so Michael Perino here asks, yay or nay on uh, real-time reviews for gay misconduct penalties?
0: Ooh, and he cites
2: what part. happened uh, yesterday, last night, um, on Wednesday night, I believe, uh, with Brendan Lemieux getting tossed. For kind of an incidental contact with Antoine Roussel, and Roussel got hurt, and I imagine the referee didn't necessarily see it uh, live, and just you know, given Lemieux's track record and the fact that there was a player on the ice hurt, and he sort of saw the contact, he assumed, I imagine, that Lemieux had done something wrong, and sort of tossed him for it. And given everything else we, re- we review, um, I guess it opens up the door. And similar to what we were talking about at the start with Colin Delia pushing the. Uh, the net off of its bearings that's also come up as whether that should be reviewable Um, where do you stand with all this or do you think that hockey at its best is such a fast free-flowing game and all of these reviews just slow it down and we should live with a bit of the inexact science as long as we preserve that fast-paced nature
0: of it
1: yeah i think that's a paradox right it's such a fast-paced game that it's hard for these referees to keep up and i have The utmost respect for these guys. I I did a story on them last year of just how they even stay in shape, and it's pretty incredible when you think about it. And they can't call everything. So I think when the video is available, I I think we should use it. This is why technology exists. This is why you know this is modern sports, and we we have the luxury of doing these things. I don't think these type of reviews would take very long. Um, Maybe players would agree with me. I know that they tend to think that the TV2 timeouts have become kind of out of control, and the stop-and-go-play really messes with the flow. But Something like this, which is kind of egregious if it goes, you know, called the wrong way, uh, in my opinion, should be uh, reviewed. And, and maybe we do something like we penalize if, if, you know, someone calls for the review or challenges it and and they don't get it right.
2: Yeah, I mean, it seems kind of weird to be like, OK, we can challenge offside and goal interference, but we can't challenge these other things that could be just as impactful and aren't necessarily um, you know they're not subject to things like you can view it clearly to see what had happened there or i i think one of my favorites is like i think we should be able to review um that delay of game where a defenseman shoots the puck out of his own zone and it goes out of play and you get two minutes for delay of game it's like so many times you see that it actually didn't happen or they or the referees missed it and it feels like that can be just as impactful as an offside and if we're gonna open the door to that challenge system i feel like we should include that as well if we're all about sort of getting the call right and acknowledging that as you said it's it can be too fast too fast sometimes like i don't blame the referees i I think they do a remarkable job of getting as much right as they do but i think uh especially with what's on the line in some of these postseason series like stuff like that and sort of some of these missed calls on a high stick or whatnot or when a guy uh high sticks himself or high sticks a teammate or something like that or, or or fakes it and dives like i think we should at least consider opening the door, stuff like that. But I do see the other side of like, you can get carried away with it sometimes. And if we're just constantly stopping and starting, it really defeats the purpose of what the NHL is trying to
1: accomplish. Yeah. I'm torn. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I would like to see another question Michael asked here was, um, should the league be more transparent with how it deals with missed calls by officials? And the only reason I bring that up is because I do think that NBA, for example, does such a great job with their uh, last two minute reports where they sort of actually go through what happened and what the referees could have done better or what they missed. And I do like that sort of transparency, although kind of, I I can't see the NHL ever doing that because uh, it's just not the way the league operates.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I'd have to say, as a journalist, I have a hard time saying no to anything that involves transparency. I'd love for them to do it. I also think that referees would love a chance to explain themselves sometimes and and you know give their take on why a call was missed or what happened there. So uh, I'd love to see this happen. I just like can't imagine it any time in the near future as in the next 25 to 30 years.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's not going to happen. Um, Ross Chaplin here asks, are the Rangers doing an effective tank so far? And hmm. we can we can we can we can just you know rephrase it and say Are the Rangers doing an effective rebuild so far. Um, obviously, it's been about what like a year and change now since they penned that letter to their season ticket holders, um, sort of explaining what they were going to do and how they were going to strip this down and how they wanted them to be patient with them and um it was a bit of a sort of revolutionary new thing that nhl teams aren't really known for doing and, and speaking of transparency I, th- I think that went a long way towards um buying some people's support or admiration at least for what they were trying to accomplish but i don't know it is a bit of a divisive topic especially and we're going to see a lot of this here in the final couple of weeks whenever you mention um that a team should be potentially better off losing as many games as possible to better their lottery odds and then you get a pushback of oh well look how good it's it's done gone for the oilers with all the first overall picks they had and people cite all these examples of how maybe bottoming out and getting a bunch of high picks or with the buffalo sabers for example as well um how that doesn't necessarily buy you future success uh where do you stand with that topic and i guess for the league as a whole and some of these teams that are rebuilding but also for the rangers and what they're trying to accomplish this, this 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 season and this summer
1: yeah, for me, I don't think tanking can exist in the NBA, uh, NHL. Wow, NBA, Ferdinand's up there. We have
2: uh, talked quite uh, a bit about basketball in this, in this podcast, <laughs> I feel like. Touche. So, yeah.
1: Touche. This is a basketball uh
0: complimentary podcast, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's just with the chances and the way the lottery system is built up. I mean, even if you finish uh, in last place, you only have a 2% greater chance of getting the number one pick than the guy who finishes in second to last place. It's just designed that way. And so for a team like the Rangers, um, I can't really evaluate how their tank is going, but the rebuild that said, uh, when they sent out the letter, like you mentioned, uh, there's a little bit of inside baseball here and we're just going to bring in another sport, but uh, in a story recently, I called it the infamous letter and a Rangers PR guy really pushed back at me. It was like, infamous, like what? Executives across all sports have come to us and congratulated us and said that that's the way to do it. And I probably was wrong in infamous because that has a negative connotation I, that while it was not the right word, but I'm saying it was just so off brand for them is kind of where I'm going at. And I do think that people across sports have, appreciated it and recognized it. And like you said, I think the fans have as well. And if I look at a year later, everything they said in a letter has been true today. They said they were going to say goodbye to familiar faces. They've done exactly that. They've said goodbye to so many fan favorites. It wasn't just last year with Ryan McDonough and those trades the Lightning. I mean, getting rid of Zuccarello this year. Uh, Kevin Hayes was a fan favorite as well. And they've been able to incorporate some young players. And I don't think Many of those young players have really stepped up in the way that they've hoped. Uh, you know, Butch Never seems to always be in David Quinn's doghouse. And Leos Anderson's been a little bit slower to adjust as, as his title, but uh, they're getting there. And, you know, they've also showed a lot of discipline in not signing free agents, which is very off-brand for them. So with all of that taken into account, I think it's been very successful.
2: Yeah, I I'm a, i <laughs> It is, um, it can obviously be heartbreaking for fans to get attached to some of these players, but like, what's the alternative? You look at, uh, the Los Angeles Kings right now, for example, and it's like, okay, they have all the guys that were on their team when they were winning the Stanley Cups and they're old and slow now and, I guess they're, every time you see them put on that Kings jersey, it brings back those memories of the team hoisting the cup. But they're not doing a lot of winning right now, and their future outlook doesn't look very great because they haven't been able to emotionally detach themselves from some of those players. So it's it's ultimately like a risk-reward situation in that regard. And I think, you know, you look at the Rangers, and we'll see how these some of these picks pan out. And that's obviously the big sort of caveat here, a big asterisk. It's the lottery is a very inexact science and the drafting as well. And all you can really do is sort of get as many kicks of the can as possible and develop those players down the road. But, you know, they didn't have a first round pick from 2013 to 2016, which is pretty remarkable. And then they had two firsts in 2017. They had three in 2018. They could potentially have three more this summer. Uh, They had 10 draft picks last year. They could have 10 more this year. So they're doing, I think a good job of embracing that and embracing their place in the league and building for the future But now, with that being said, uh, because of that market and because of the fan base, I imagine when Artemi Panarin hits free agency this summer, there's going to be a lot of desire, a lot of clamoring from their fans to um, go out and make a big splash signing like that and bring in a guy like that that can revitalize this fan base and potentially the team. And I think that's going to be the next big ultimate test for them to see how committed they are to this rebuild versus sort of pulling the plug on it and trying to speed it up by bringing in a bunch of high-priced guys that could potentially bring them back to the playoffs again sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, you know, I alluded to it a little bit earlier with Ray Shiro, but there's very few GMs in the league that have that luxury where they can kind of say, like, I'm going to pause for a couple years and then do it. And the reason that Ray Shiro has it is maybe because of the fan base and the ownership situation. New York doesn't have that luxury. And so even though they did enter this re- rebuild, so to speak, I don't know if they can do it as long as other teams could. I I don't know that they can do what the Detroit Red Wings are doing right now and be this irrelevant for this long. So I wonder if Jeff Gordon is going to be tempted by some of the free agents that come up this summer. And you mentioned Panera, and that's the perfect example. Are they going to go out and try to trade for someone? Are they going to try to lure Eric Carlson away from San Jose or something like that? Uh, That'll be the true test of discipline for them.
2: Yeah, it will. But as of right now, I give them a a high grade just based on the fact that I think they've made the most out of uh, out of not starting off with too much or at least sort of acknowledging that this was the trajectory of their team and, and sort of dispatching some of these older guys for future assets. So I do like that. Hamily, um, while we were recording, uh, Nikita Kucherov had three more points against the Detroit Red Wings. So, I feel great
1: about the podcast. It is going to age beautifully.
2: Yeah, so yeah, I think that's ultimately like a good rule to live by a good rule of thumb it's like just just say nice things about nikita kucherov and his play and <laughs> i feel like it'll probably be It'll probably be aging very well uh oh, for we'll people that the are coming around day, and listening they? to this yeah exactly um all right plug some stuff what uh what are you working on these days uh what can where can people check out your work and uh and what can they look forward to from you moving forward because i know you've done a bunch of uh Really um, entertaining and insightful sort of deep dive features on various topics that I recommend people go check out, but uh, speak a little bit, bit more to that yourself.
1: Yeah, well, really all I want to plug right now is ESPN NHL coverage and I'm so excited. I feel like when I started, it was a little baby that we were trying to grow and it has grown and grown because Greg obviously came on like a month later and now we have
0: awesome people like you and I love your column every week and Chris Peters, so I just encourage everyone to check out the stuff we're doing. I think it's fun and different and we all complement each other very well. Um, I've got a few pieces coming out recently. Uh, I just had a big one on the two women's leagues. I had a lot of questions. I didn't really understand how things ran so that one kind of just explained it all and I've got a magazine story coming up um, I'm really proud of and it involves the women that work for the Maple Leafs and uh, it's a story that I'd wanted to do for some time and luckily I was given permission so that should be out right at the start of the playoffs.
2: Awesome. And you and Greg as well have a podcast, which I will hopefully, uh, be making my debut appearance on here in the coming weeks. So hey, you uh, better. people should check that out as well. Maybe we can get a bit of a podcast rivalry going. Um, Emily, this was a blast. I'm glad we got to do this. Thanks for taking the time. And let's, uh, let's definitely check back in and chat sometime down the road.
0: Sounds great. And I am so glad I could find a quiet space unlike my podcast debut where I did it in a cafe making smoothies
2: <laughs> from that uh, that's okay at least there were no sirens on my end this time either so we uh, this was a pretty smooth smooth recording so anyways uh, we'll chat soon okay touche okay, thanks Dimitri
0: the hockey PDO cast with Dimitri Filipovich. follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey